Hello and welcome back. My name is Dr. Christopher Gennari, and this is Great Big History Podcast. Today we do imperialism from 1850 to 1914, i.e. when white people conquered the world. By 1914, Europeans owned 85% of the globe, which means basically you had the Ottoman Empire in the Middle East, China, South America, in the United States and Mexico, not owned by Europeans. Europeans own everything else. So causes, cause of imperialism. Why do white people get on boats? And unlike exploration in the 1500s or colonialism in the 1600s, 1700s, when they went and lived in places, why do they now just go and conquer places and suck things out of it? Well, the number one reason is industrialization. Industrialization requires a massive amount of resources, minerals, and markets. It needs people to sell stuff to, and it needs resources that Europeans don't have. So industrialization required a way of getting at this stuff. Two, European competition. So why would I conquer the Congo? Because I want the stuff in the Congo. I want the rubber. I want the, the copper. I want the iron. But I don't want any other Europeans to have it either. So I want to close off my empire to other people. Now, we're going to live in a world of free trade, which makes all of this nonsense. Um, people, people said about the Iraq war, oh, we, ha- we should conquer Iraq and then we'll take the oil. In fact, that was one of the arguments. The oil will pay for the war. We'll just take the oil. Um, Donald Trump I believe said that as well. We should have just taken the oil. We should have stayed and taken the oil. Um, but he is not the only person to think that way. That's the 19th century. And that doesn't work anymore. The oil that comes out of the ground is then sold on a market in New York that anybody can buy it. So you suck it out. That's great. You put it in a barrel. You put it on a ship. And then on that ship... Somewhere in the New York Stock Exchange, it goes for sale and China buys it because we live in a world of free markets where you can buy and sell anything on those markets. So you you can't do this anymore. But the European competition in 1850 and 1900 meant my, my gain was your loss. It was a zero-sum game. And Europeans, the French, the Germans, the Italians, the Spanish, the, the English, Russians were all competing with each other in a Darwinist, if I need to survive, you need to be destroyed kind of way. Three, Christian progressivism. We're going to make black people, yellow people, brown people civilized. Now you go, well, man, that's racist. Well, yes, it's 1870. It is racist. This is... The best example of this is, is Kipling's White Man's Burden. Now, White Man's Burden is well. Let's take a let's take a look at it. We should we should actually take a look at it. So I'm going to take a look at it about American Empire in the Philippines, and he is pro empire. And so um, there's three. I took three. Um, the first two stanzas and then a stanza in the middle that's fairly famous. And so 
It goes, take up the white man's burden, send forth the best ye breed. Go bind your sons to exile to serve your captors need, captives' need, to wait in heavy harness on flooded folk and wild, your new court sullen peoples, half devil and half child. Take up the white man's burden in patience to abide, to veil the threat of terror and check the show of pride, by open speech and simple, and a, and a hundred times made plain, to seek another's profit, to work another's gain. And then in the middle of the poem, is take up the white man's burden and reap his old reward, the blame of those ye better, the hate of those ye guard, the cry of host ye humor, ah, slowly toward the light, quote, why brought he us from bondage, our loved Egyptian knight, end quote. So native peoples are called newly caught, sullen, wild, Half devil, half child, terrors, prideful, and ungrateful. Imperialism was seen as a good thing because the world was looked at as linear. And Europeans were the most civilized. And they said, we are the most civilized. And everyone should be like us. And look at them. They're not. They're on their way to us. So we should go and we will drag them into the future. We will make their lives better. And what Kipling points out is they're going to hate you for it. It's your job. That's the white man's burden. To do good even when the people don't appreciate it. It's being a parent. In fact, it's being Moses and God. Why brought he us from bondage, our loved Egyptian knight? The idea is, oh, we liked being slaves in Egypt. Why are you leading us out? This is too hard. Don't make us do this. Don't make us change. Is it racist? Yeah. A lot. Is it Eurocentric? Uh-huh. But it's also seen as a sacrifice. It's seen as what white people are supposed to do in service of others to make them, to make them modern. It's a noble endeavor, which they will not appreciate. The blame of those ye better, the hate of those ye guard. The cry of hosts ye humor, ah, slowly toward the light, that you're going to drag them to the future, to modernity, to the light, and they don't know what's there, and they're going to kick and scream, and they're going to be, they're going to throw fits, but you know it's for their betterment. So white people have to be the parents, have to be the adults in the room. And all these brown and yellow and black people, they can throw their fits. They can act in their crazy ways. But it's our burden, our job as successful white people to bring them modern European white people culture. It's a good thing. It's seen as a good thing. I'm not saying it is a good thing. It is seen as a good thing, as a burden 
Because otherwise we could just go places, shoot them, take their stuff and leave. We could pillage them. And that's not what Kipling is saying. He's not saying you should treat the Philippines like you treated your Indians. He's saying you should make them better people. Make them modern. Don't just murder them. Of making people's lives better. And remember, Christian progressives come off as liberal, but they're conservatives. They don't want revolution. They are Fox News loving, family values voting, modern conservatives. Which tells you just how conservative the modern world is. But Christian progressives are not are liberal conservatives. They don't want revolution. They don't want massive change. They want to make the world better, though. Finally, science and discovery equals adventure. Deepest, darkest Africa. The mountains. Go see the tallest mountains in the world in Nepal. Go see things no white man has ever seen before. Go do things no white people had ever done before. Find the mouth of the Nile. Or find, not the mouth, the source of the Nile. Go up to Congo. In the heart of darkness. Go do things. Explore. Have adventures. Go find stuff. That there was a new world to discover. And this is the start of National Geographic. This age. Because not only discover it. But then come back and tell people about it. Have photographs. Have articles. Use modern technology to tell people about the world, your discoveries, your new science, the new plants, the new animals no one's ever seen before. This is where most museums of natural history get started. New York, London, Paris, which are going to start. New York is famous for it, for their stuffed animals, stuffed everything, elephants, whales, everything from little squirrels to someone went and shot those things and then brought them back. They stuffed them and then they put them on display so that people who lived in cities who had no idea of the world outside the city could see animals that you could only go to Africa and see. And no one was going to Africa to see them. Only the rich of the rich of the rich could go on safari. So this was their way to learn about the world. Um, this is where the Metropolitan Museum gets started. And art museums get started to share art with poor people. This is part of the Christian progressivism. The, the Metropolitan Museum of Art does, did not, for roughly 100 years, have an entrance fee. It made its money by rich people's donations. The idea was... Art should be available to everyone. That is apparently now changing. That the Metropolitan Museum of Art is, is going to start charging non-New Yorkers uh, to enter. Which is against its Christian progressive mission. Of the founding, at least. Which was that art should be available to all people. No matter especially if they're poor, because if they're poor, they've never seen this stuff before. And it's your job to give it to them, to introduce it to you, because you, because not only is the white man's burden, does it work for Europeans to Africans and Asians, 
It's rich people to poor people. It's you're supposed to make them more civilized too. So this whole idea is infesting the world. That it is your job as a rich white person to make the world better for non-rich, non-white people. The results of imperialism for Western Europe. Well, rich people got richer. The wealth for leaders, markets for companies, jobs for workers. Everybody makes money on this. There's one world market of goods equals less poverty and more goods. We have an economy of scale. It is better for everybody. Leaders made more money. Companies got markets to sell more stuff in. And since you're making more stuff, workers get jobs. Everybody made money. Two, philosophical in in integration. The spread of European, especially English, culture. Cricket, soccer, and football. Not American football. I mean, European football, soccer. Tea, the Enlightenment philosophy. Elites. In Africa, in India, in Asia, are going to be educated in Paris and Cambridge, Oxford and Berlin. Um, the best teams at cricket today are in Bangladesh, Pakistan, India, the East, the West Indies. I watched a tournament on TV once of cricket, and while I don't understand cricket, it was interesting to watch. Not one of those teams was England. Or Scotland. They were all non-European teams playing. One was from the West Indies. Uh, another one was Bangladesh. Uh, I think the New Zealanders The New Zealanders were in it. So you go, well, they're British. Yeah, uh, they're culturally British, but they're New Zealanders. They're a whole different country on a different part of the world. How did cricket get to New Zealand? That's the idea. That the spread of these cultures... and. Let's also be honest, it was a New Zealand team. Several of the players were indigenous peoples. So they weren't all white British guys. Three, you get a new class of people, the foreign European, the quote-unquote brown brothers. They're Indian, but they dress in an English suit. They have English manners. They are in every way, shape, and form English. In fact, since they're elites from India and they've been educated in Cambridge or Oxford, they are in many cases more English than poor working class English people in London. They play cricket. Londoners will play soccer. There's no room for cricket in London. Please. And the white suits and the tea? No. no. They'll drink tea. Poor Londoners might have tea, sure, but also drink beer. These people will take on a Christian philosophical, um, the, excuse me, the Christian um, becomes the Western philosophy becomes the successful worldview. Um, Western philosophy, Enlightenment philosophy, is also infused with Christianity from the Reformation, and that becomes a successful worldview. Even non-Christians, not everyone's going to convert to Christianity, but that way of viewing the world, individuals, individualism, freedom, enlightenment, wins. And these people, so these people are from India, which is an empire, or was an empire, with a whole different history, 
philosophy, set of cultural norms, and they are going to take on European norms. And they are people stuck between worlds. They are not English. They will not be accepted as English. Certainly poor English people are not going to accept them. And the rich see them as more or less a curiosity. They are not exactly going to let their daughters marry them. And yet they are no longer natives of whatever culture they were from. India, Africa, South Africa, uh, Pakistan, um, Thailand. They are no longer that because they have absorbed so much of the English culture. So they're stuck between worlds. What is it to be European culturally, but not racially and not accepted as European by Europeans? And yet you are clearly no longer what you used to be. And that can create a, a crisis of culture, a crisis of confidence. There's these, it's simply there's a group of people that's growing over time, that is stuck between these two worlds. And how do they reconcile that? All right. I'm going to end here to keep this, this lecture short, and we're going to do our examples, India, China, Japan, in the next lecture. Thank you.